welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, the podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA, and also to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from men with ministry experience. I am Joe Smith, one of your co-hosts, pastor of Westminster Reform Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in the beautiful Marion, Indiana, where the sky is blue, the trees are large, the weather is lovely, and the people are uh, fantastic. We have <laughs> we have today our guest, a very special guest. I think this is the first time on the Blue Banter we have a retired RP pastor, so we're very excited. We have uh, Ken Smith on the podcast. Ken, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time today. You're welcome. Well, one of the things that I think uh, would be helpful for Joe and I and our, our listeners as well is, would you mind giving us a brief kind of survey of your ministry, um, where the Lord had you and um, the different areas? Because you, you've worn quite a few hats uh, in your time as a minister. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of briefly sharing with us some of the ways that the Lord has used you in some particular areas that you've ministered in. Okay. Well, I started out in the pastor at Central Pittsburgh Church in 1952 and uh, was in that job for five years. And then I was asked by the Synod to become director of Christian education for the denomination. And I located close to the seminary so I could influence future pastors and uh, worked in that for 14 years. And then was advised by my presbytery to get some rest. So I went overseas to Ireland and ministered for a year in Ireland, then was asked to go to Cyprus and went to Cyprus until the Turks invaded. And uh, we were able then to turn the work over to local people. And that brought me back to Pittsburgh, where I was asked to pastor central Pittsburgh congregation, which I did for 19 years, and then, excuse me, Covenant Fellowship, Covenant Fellowship, excuse me, Uh, and then uh, went to Syracuse for, uh, what, nine years, Hmm. and then retired, so-called. Okay, (laughs) so-called, very good, very good. Well, I appreciate that uh, quick survey of uh, the ministry that you were involved in. Um, One of the things that uh, we know that you've been involved in during your ministry was time with the Navigators. In fact, I think you met your wife there. I think she worked for the Navigators for a time. Um, So would you mind telling us a bit about uh, the Navigators ministry and then maybe why um, pastors should consider partnering with the Navigators and um, utilizing uh, the ministry that they're involved in? Well, I'm not so much interested in the organization as I am in what I learned Mm. from them. Because when Dawson Trotman was engaged by Billy Graham for help in follow-up, Pittsburgh was the first place that Trotman came to help. And I heard him for the first time in First Presbyterian Church downtown through the auspices and the encouragement of a ruling elder of our church who worked downtown, a godly man 
And he said, would you like to go to that follow-up meeting? And if a new pastor and an elder asks you to do something, you say yes. <laughs> so without much knowledge, I went ahead and, and went down there and heard Trotman speaking about what you do with a new believer. Mm. That didn't even come up in my seminary because we didn't talk about new believers. We didn't have new believers. Mm. And I had colleagues uh, who went overseas to get some graduate school, but I had no, I didn't know any graduate school that offered what I wanted to learn. But Dawson did. How to care for a new believer to the place where he was mature enough to reproduce. That, in the words, what I learned from the navigators. And so what were some of those uh, things that they uh, they talked about as far as, you know, you engage with a new believer? So, you know, from cradle to... Uh you know, when you're sending them out, what were some of the things that they really emphasized uh, pastors should be focusing on um, when it comes to discipling new believers? Well, Dawson Trotman was a an artist, and he imaged things, and he, he was very good at that. Have you ever heard of the Navigator Wheel? I think you actually talked about it a bit um, when you came to preach at chapel, but we'd love to hear it again. Well, the wheel was something that he devised for a new believer. And uh, if you can see in your mind's eye a wheel, think of the kind of wheel that is on the ship that, that the helmsman mm -hmm. operates. That kind of a wheel. And so it had spokes out in the outer rim. It's the new believer walking with Jesus. I'm not using the same words they did, but that was it. And then at the center was Jesus with four spokes. The one from the center down was the word. The one from the center upward was prayer. The one to the right, there were four, and this was the third one, was obedience. And the one to the left was witness. How simple. Mm -hmm. But this was what Trotman built into the life of other people so that they could walk with Christ. And what happened was they reproduced. And I want to, con I want to say that that's exactly what happens. And so the, the story of the Navigators is an amazing story because uh, one man was led to Christ by Dawson one night up above Los Angeles, and a policeman came over, and the policeman 
thought they were having a drink and he wanted some. But Dawson said, I don't have anything to drink, but I got something better. And <laughs> Silver and gold, I have none, but such as I have, I give to you. <laughs> yeah. And he led him to Christ. Mm. And the soldier, who was, or a sailor, who was with him, going back down, said, I'd give anything to be able to do that. Trotman hmm. said, no, you wouldn't. He said, I said I would. Trotman said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> the sailor grabbed him by the shoulder, <laughs> said, I said I would. <laughs> well, Trotman said, it'll cost you. And so he began to build into him the wheel. Hmm. And it wasn't long until this guy had another sailor with him. And he said, okay, Doss, here's another one. You give it to him. And Dawson said, I almost made a mistake. I almost did it. But he said, no, you do it. Mm. You do it. Because if you can't do it, I've failed. Mm -hmm. So he started out that principle. You know, before long, they knew of thousands of guys who had come under the sound of the gospel through multiplication. And I had never heard anything like this when I was in seminary. The Reformed Presbyterian Church had been a declining church, though the work in China had blossomed. Uh, so I wasn't used to the idea of hearing about people coming to Christ. So this revolutionized my whole thinking of the pastor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Joseph, you get any uh, other questions about this before we move on to the next one? Um, well, can you, you said you're not so much interested or focused in the navigators uh, per se, but if, if, um, if you wouldn't, I mean, and maybe you would, but if, if you wouldn't necessarily push a minister to get involved with the navigators, what, what are some resources besides the navigators or that come from them that ministers could uh, get in their hands or ministries they could partner with uh, to, to strive to um, implement this multiplication principle uh, that the navigators put forth? What what are some other resources that you could recommend to ministers along these lines to get their hands on or to get involved with? Oh, read the Puritans. <laughs> they did this. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the, the uh, imagery sure. that Dawson used. But no, I would say you could still go to the navigators and get help. Um, but their their whole vision is rep reproduction, mm -hmm. reproduction, mm -hmm. and that I I would start from the covenantal viewpoint by saying that parents ought to understand how to train their lead their children. Mm -hmm. How yeah, many true. fathers know how to do that? Right. And how many pastors teach their past teach their uh, fathers to do that with an understanding and hope that they would reproduce? I I don't think that the reformed uh, community are really up 
to what it means to minister the gospel individually to the children or to adults, and especially men. Jesus spent most of his time with men. So Trotman used to say, if he met somebody new, he said, where's your man? Where are your men? How many men do you know personally who spend personal time with men with the intention that those men will mature and reproduce and be able to do the same with others? That's almost an unheard of thing outside the navigators. Mm -hmm. It happens because that's God's plan for parents to teach their children. Mm -hmm. And that's where we come with the with him principle. Jesus ordained 12 to be with him. With him. I have a quarrel with a seminary I know about who talk about students under pastors. Think about that. The Bible says that Jesus had been with him. There's a difference. <clears throat> so am I, am I off the track? No, no, you're good. You're good. That's that's what I think we're wanting is just to lay out uh, how men can be thinking about some of these principles that you've helped to champion and, and where they could be looking for some of that. And you, you actually started to touch on um, kind of the second question we want to ask. Uh, we want to ask, like, how important is one-on-one -on -one discipleship in the ministry? Like, where where should men have this ranked, pastors, elders in particular, have this ranked on their their priority level, and you started to kind of speak to that with uh, the example of Christ and the with them principle and this um, kind of command uh, to to multiply in a sense. So, so if you could just continue to expand upon that a little bit, however you want, and, and just explain and expand on how important one-on-one -on -one discipleship and multiplication ministry is in today's in today's ministry and for today's pastors well it's the whole idea of an apprentice i worked in an aircraft factory when the in in uh, world war ii and they put me in the wing department for recovering wings they gave me a, an assignment with an older man in fact he's almost ready for retirement Mr. Moore, hmm. and I, I, I learned how to cover wings from Mr. Moore. Now, how many men do you know who have men with them, like Jesus did, in doing ministry? It's a simple concept, hmm. but it's so important. There is a pastor down in Atlanta who spends time with men, five men. And he has spent that time with them and taught them. They, 
I've got the curriculum. You can get it. It's PCA in uh, uh, Atlanta. I forget the name of the church. Perimeter. Perimeter Church. And uh, I took our associate pastor with me, and we went down and visited, and we learned firsthand from him. I tell you, the, the with him principle is so simple, and yet it's so powerful. It's like a father who never spends time with his children. Think about it. How many pastors do you know they visit, but the pastors were not trained to take men with them? Mm -hmm. The with him principle was valuable, so valuable to me, because here I was, a young buck just out of seminary, and I had elders who were godly men, but they were not equipped to, to visit. And I'd try to get them to visit people, and they would turn in blank sheets. And then I learned from Dawson course, the with him principle. So I started taking men with me, the elders with me. They had never heard of anybody coming to Christ. We one night, we led a man to Christ. And uh, you know how I mean that by the mm -hmm. grace of yep. God. Yep. And uh, the next Lord's Day, this man showed up at church <laughs> and the elder that had gone with me couldn't leave him mm. he just he was right there with him and all that and I watched that because prior to that this man he wouldn't have gone near anybody like that mm. so I I feel like the Seminary is valuable. I got I got much from seminary, even though my seminary needed the revamping. But there was a whole area of ministry I did not learn in the seminary. You can't teach it in the seminary. You teach it out. It's the with him principle. Mm -hmm. Jesus ordained 12 to be with him, and then he might send them forth to preach. And that's why I've, I've ragged on the guys at our seminary because it says, the subtitle of the seminary is Study Under Pastors. And I say, no, you ought to say Study With Pastors. They were, I, won't, I haven't succeeded yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can still work on Dr. York and get, yeah. that, uh, get that shift oh, changed. He mm. and I have had our rounds on it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure. No, that's good. Um, yeah, you've, you've got me wondering now, and this is, this is um, and you've touched, you, you just touched on some of it when you said that you started to take uh, your elders with you on uh visits or evangelistic efforts but in addition to that 
what are what are some ways that that pastors who may be listening this to this today who may be in seminary now what are some ways uh, that we can start to 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 develop um a, a discipleship a multiplication a a with them ministry what are some ways that we can start to implement uh these multiplication and with him principles into our own ministries? What are some practical ways uh, that you did so and that you learned to do so over time or that you've learned from other men? Uh, just some practical ways that that we can put these these powerful principles uh, into action. Well, now you just think for a while on that with him principle. Now you think about where you go, what you do, why you do it. Can I go with you and learn it? And you you have your own agenda. And any pastor will have his own agenda. Now, the, the agenda that Trotman used was the wheel. He had an image of what he wanted to build into another person. So, as a pastor, do you have that idea? You want the pastor, uh, you want the men to listen to you. Who was the pastor down in Florida that used to go out visiting every Thursday? James Kennedy. James Kennedy. The story of James Kennedy is an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. When he was a young pastor, he was asked to go up to North, I think it was North Carolina and conduct a series of evangelistic services. And this was an older pastor that invited him up. And uh, he said, every afternoon, this older pastor took him out door to door. And that was brand new for Kennedy. He'd never heard that, never seen that. So he went back and he set aside Thursday night for visitation. And all the rest of his ministry, and I've talked to him about this, he spent time with somebody, taking him with him to visit. Now, how many pastors do you know that do that? See, if you want you want to go and present a gospel to somebody, uh, you take him with you? Now, you don't have, this will be new to some elders, but generally, if you have a plan for elder visitation, you've got an, an environment in which to get it started. And then you take him along till he knows what's involved in this. Yeah. I had a, an experience with an elder with me and he got so scared because he got he thought the guy was going to kick us out or something but uh, you know how men talk you don't pat it around talk turkey men learn how to think like that they may cuss you out but uh, they'll get over it hmm. they know that you really care mm-hmm now, if I lost the track, you asked me to 
say, how would you help other guys? Yeah, just, just some other uh, – I mean, I think you, you, you kind of hit on it, but if you want to expand – I mean, just – I mean, essentially what I'm hearing you say is for pastors to think about what they do and and where they can take someone with them, strive to do so. Just strive to have other men with you uh, anytime you can. Uh, when you go on visits, when you, when you go out for evangelism – I mean, essentially, essentially, it sounds to me just like think through what you do as a pastor, and and if you can reasonably have another man with you or a couple, uh, have them with you so that they can learn uh, not only from your words and your teaching, but from observation and example and so forth. Yeah, well, I think part of the problem that we have in it is that the seminary hasn't taught men how to do that kind of ministry, and they have no goals in mind. That's why this brother from uh, Atlanta is so significant, because he takes five men, and he has a curriculum for those men. It takes them three years to get it. Hmm. And, and many of them have gone overseas as missionaries. But he spent that time with those men, you see, in the Word. That's part of it. And the other part is spending time with those men out ministering to people. See, when you, when you think about it yourself, when you go to visit somebody, or you got your, <laughs> you've got somebody in your sites to go visit, visit. Do you always think of taking somebody with you? You just think like that. Hmm. You just think like that. And if you know the story of the navigators, you would know that that principle is why they multiplied. Hmm. It's the with him principle. They always took somebody with them. Well, that's very good. I, I appreciate that. And uh, it's something, you know, you might see Joe and I kind of put our heads down. We often kind of take notes as we're uh, interviewing pastors and things to, to for us to think about uh, in the future to implement in our own ministries. Um, shifting gears here a little bit, and this, these are the next two questions are something that uh, we like to ask pastors who have been in the ministry for a long time or, uh, in your case, have, have been retired. Um, so it's kind of a two-parter. You can answer it how uh, how you see fit. Um but what would you tell your younger self to avoid if you could go, you know, back in time and talk to, you know, younger Ken? What would you tell him to avoid in his first few years of ministry? And what would you tell him to really focus on in his first few years of ministry? Well, you have to define your ministry. Ministry is a broad term. Mm -hmm. So what are you talking about? Is it a pastor? Are you talking about as an elder? Are you talking about as a deacon? Mm -hmm. What what do you expect? A father to train his children? You see, you better decide what you're trying to do because that's when the with him principle applies. But if a guy doesn't know what he's doing, why does he have somebody with him? Then he trains another man that doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so you need a clear goal. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know how to present the gospel? Do you know how to train me if I don't know how so that I can present the gospel? Are you doing that? If men don't know how to present the gospel in our churches, it's because our pastors may not know how to do it personally either. Mm -hmm. But I would say they aren't doing it. And that's where the with him principle becomes so valuable. I could tell you stories about that, but going home in the car after having this seminarian with me, you know, he's, he, he had learned in seminary effectual calling, you know, effectual mm -hmm. calling. So we were visiting this man all the time, and he was very happy to see us come. It was door to door. And uh, so this particular time man was very eager very eager and uh, we got to the place where the man said well, what do I do <laughs> and this boy who had been exposed to Calvinism <laughs> and his Bible said well frankly Mr. Busey there's there's nothing you can do. Oh, no. I'm sitting there listening to this. And Mr. Busey said, well, it sure sounds great. I just don't know how you get it. Mm. Mm. So I took over. Busey committed his life to Christ, and I believe we'll see him in heaven. Because mm. he shortly after that died. But going home in the car with this seminary student, we had quite a, an interesting conversation <laughs> because he had, he had gotten effectual calling, but he hadn't gotten the call to repent and believe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how to work that out. So it's this kind of thing. I, I think pastors need to know how to help a person mature. So, for example, does the pastor know how to teach a man how to have personal quiet time, private worship? First of all, does he know how to have it himself? And can he teach a man how to meet with the Lord? So if he's in a pastor, say, for so many years, do the men of his church, fathers and husbands, are they men who meet with God and know how to spend time in the Word? And I, would, I want to encourage you that this is a learned principle by experience. Mm -hmm. I learned how to lead family worship as a child because my dad led us in family worship morning and evening. So that experience 
part of it. It's not just theory. It's working it out. And styles are different. And that's the beautiful thing about this. Have I gotten off track? No, I mean, you're, you're, you're answering the question. I think uh, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, as you think about um, things to avoid in your first year of ministry, um, avoid uh, theology to the expense of, you know, interpersonal um, uh, relationships. You know, we don't want to get so caught up in the theory of theology that we, we don't know how to present the gospel. So we need to focus on that. We need to focus on what uh, our priorities are in ministry. And, you know, we need to be bringing people along with us in our ministry. Um, so I think you're, you're helpfully answering kind of what we're asking. Well, let me, let me uh, pick up on something that a young pastor can do. Mm -hmm. When he visits his congregation, one of the questions that is very helpful for everybody is to ask the person how he or she came to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've had guys tell me, tell me how you became a Christian. He said, I'm not a Christian. He was a railroad engineer. Mm. His wife was sitting there. She said, you are too. Mm. He said, I am not. I did not know from that what the situation was except this that Tom didn't know he was saved. So we took it from there. And I started meeting with him and teaching him more about that. Till he finally committed his life. So there's an experience that goes with that. Well, then Tom, of course, could help his children. But follow up. Tom was a changed man. Let me just say this. I, I told Tom, start listening to the sermons. Start listening. See if they made sense. And he'd come to the door and I'd say, did it make sense today? Nope. And this went on for a while. Until one day... He said, it sure did. Hmm. And I said, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ? He was a member now, remember. And he said, I am. Let me uh, tell my wife, so I'll meet you in the study. And he committed his life to Christ, and his life was changed. He was a railroad engineer. And I was learning, too. What a wonderful thing to see mm -hmm. the life change in Tom. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. Mm -hmm. Praise God. That's a wonderful story. And, yeah, I think I think you were, you're continuing to hit at that question. It's been nice to hear you kind of weave these principles into these various questions we've asked you and show how, in many ways, uh, the answer to all of these questions that we've asked you in particular is the working out of these, this with them principle, which itself is the foundational principle to 
to the idea and concept of of multiplication and discipleship. And when you think about the thing now, now in in a lot of ways, uh, our members uh, they have extremely busy lives as well and are juggling a lot of things. Um, but for some reason, it seems that, uh, and maybe it's just because the circles we're in or whatever. Uh, but we hear about pastors. Uh, burning out in the ministry, and and I don't know the statistics. Maybe that's as common in in other fields of of labor. I'm not sure, but just you think about the responsibilities that a pastor has in light of things we've said. Uh, he has a, a public responsibility to preach and to teach. Um, he has a responsibility to do um, reactive biblical counseling. He has a responsibility to do uh, proactive biblical discipleship. He has a responsibility to go out and to seek the lost sheep who are currently uh, dressed as goats um, and, until they hear the voice of the shepherd and, and are revealed to be sheep uh, through the effectual calling that you mentioned earlier. And and on top of normal responsibilities of, of administrative duties, um, uh, responsibilities as husbands, as fathers, uh, men in the community, so on and so forth. Um, what are some things you learned over the years or or just some counsel you would give now uh, to a pastor who may be on the brink of, of feeling like he's he's burning out a little bit or he's struggling with some symptoms of burnout? Um, what what's some counsel maybe you would give uh, to a man who's who's feeling those those symptoms of burnout uh, in light of all the things he's doing now? How did how did you cope with that? Um things you did as far as planning, time management, prioritization, getting rest? What are some things, some counsel you would give to men concerning <clears throat> balancing their ministry and and having an enduring and long-term ministry as the Lord blessed you with? Well, let me try to summarize it. Mark 3.14, he ordained 12 to be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. That's the with him principle, not the under him principle. The with him principle. And does he know how to spend time with Jesus? How's his, how's his, uh, what do you use the term, quiet time or whatever? What, how's it doing? How's his time with the Lord? Does he know how to feed his soul? Was he taught in the seminary what it means to walk with Jesus and to spend time with him in prayer? One of the things, I happened to be uh, in a church that had a secretary. <laughs> how valuable, because I could shut up shop and go into the auditorium and tell her I was off limits, no phone calls. Then I'd go in and walk up and down the auditorium and prayer. <laughs> I learned this from another man, by the way. So you could pray for people where they sit. And I think that the whole idea of prayer ministry has been neglected mm -hmm. not intentionally I'm not being critical but you see 
that's where the with him principle comes so so important it's not it's not well i've said it you're if you want to teach a man how to pray take him with you to your prayer time get on your knees together that's how children learn to talk they listen to their dad mm -hmm. But prayer ministry, for example, is such an important facet of the pastorate. And that's where we avoid burnout. If you're going to carry it, you're going to get tired. But if you dump it at the foot of the cross, mm -hmm. you aren't carrying it anymore. Mm -hmm. And see, I think that is the principle that we get with, with him. The disciples learned how to pray by observing and listening to Jesus. And oftentimes Jesus would leave the crowd and just go off and pray. How many pastors do you know that do that? The pressure, they'd say, the pressure I've got to deal with it no just shove it off go pray no that's Am good making sense yeah no 100 mm -hmm. i was i was thinking here as you're, as you're talking about that and again still loving how you're how you're weaving this with them principle into into all the answers it's it's wonderful um it seems like it's a thing too and maybe you uh could speak to this as far as also applying this with them principle and multiplication principle to burnout, um, it would seem <clears throat> as a pastor or elder has other men with them, or he has his, the elders with them, and and they're learning how also to minister. Obviously, the pastor alone has has uh, been raised up to uh, publicly preach and teach and administer the sacraments. Uh, but those other aspects of ministry I talked about: proactive discipleship, reactive counseling. Uh, going out for evangelism, if he has men with him and he's training them also how to do those things by teaching and his own example, he's raising up men who can help him bear the weight of the ministry, and and therefore that load also is not all on him, and so he's able to delegate and, and trust other men uh, to help him with aspects of word ministry Um and therefore, again, not bearing the load totally himself. Would you see that also as a, a right application of the with them principle as applied to this area of pastoral burnout, like bringing men with him so that he is not bearing this full load himself? That's right. And his own discipline. He needs to know how to go play golf. <laughs> and I'm I emphasize the word play. He needs to know how to correct himself when he's, you know, he's an unhappy guy, he's burned out, all that. The first person to feel that is his wife. And then the kids notice. The kids notice 
the husband and wife relationship. Whether it's one of joy, one of its peace, excitement, you know, and fun, mm -hmm. and busy, and work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, am I off track? No, I you actually have a, a question about this uh, with him principle, and particularly when it, something that you just said, um, you know, learning how to play golf and, and those kinds of things. How um, holistic would you view the whole with him principle? So, for example, um, if a pastor is struggling with burnout because of even the with him principle, because he's investing so much in other men, um, does the with him principle even carry into the play, would you say? Um, or would you say, no, that's something that needs to kind of be just a little bit separate um, from the with him principle? You, does that question make sense? No, I'm not quite with you, I don't think. Okay, fair enough. So when you think about the with him principle, you know, you you teach, you bring yeah, men with you to right. pray, you bring men with you to evangelize, you show men what it means to engage in private worship yourself, what it means to engage in family worship, those kinds of things. <laughs> when it comes to uh, the pastor and um, his day off, as you were saying, like sometimes you just need to you know, learn to play golf. Sometimes you need to just be with your family. Um, at what point would you say the with him principle starts to encroach upon the pastor's family life in, in an unhelpful way? Or would you say there's not really an unhelpful way that they should always be bringing people and showing them what their family life looks like? Well, the first responsibility I have is to keep my soul happy in the Lord. That's my number one goal. Mm. And you wonder, you see, I'm so busy, I don't have time for this or that. If you don't have time to keep your soul happy with the Lord, you're in the wrong job. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we're about. We're helping people learn how to rejoice in the Lord. And it's hard to do that. That's why you need to train other men because it's, it's, it's not that complicated in a sense, intellectually. But if you had a young guy who needed some help with his quiet time, could you refer him to one of your elders and say, hey, Bill, would you teach Johnny here what he needs to know about how to have a quiet time? Mm -hmm. He's got it, sure. See, this is not a, this is not a, a, a job that keeps like this. The idea is to span it out. Excuse me, I gave a diagram of <laughs> your hand piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. Part of the problem that pastors have with that is they don't have men that they have trained to whom to refer those particular needs. Let's say you've got a new guy that's just come to your church. 
We don't know whether he's known the gospel yet or not. You got guys in your church, you could say, hey, Bill, can you take John out for a cup of coffee and tell him what he needs to know? You got men like that? See, part of this whole thing is to develop and train other men. Jesus trained 12. How many men are you training? Are we following Jesus' example? He trained 12 to be with him that he might send them forth to preach. See, this is just, it's always thinking in terms of where are the men? Where are the men? And where are they in their maturity? You, they differ. But you don't think of me as the minister. We're all involved in the ministry. I happen to be the pastor. But one of my jobs is to train other men who can do what needs to be done as far as pastors, I mean, as far as fathers, husbands, businessmen. I'm, I'm shifting now to a focus on men. And I believe in that. I believe that a pastor's, one of his big tasks is to train the men so that those men know him they know how to walk with him they know how to help their wives and their children to walk with him and they know something about what their job is in terms of the kingdom in other words this takes the uh, pastor beyond his sermon to what he's trying to see accomplish. A multiplying congregation of equipped people. All right. I, yeah, no, through? you're coming through. You're making perfect sense. And I think that's a that's a good word for us to kind of uh, land the plane on. Um, but okay. yeah, I, I think this has been really helpful talking about the uh, with him principle. It's kind of uh, encouraged me a bit. I've mean, even got a few guys kind of in the back of my mind here at the church right. that, uh, that I'm thinking, yeah, those, those would be good guys to kind of bring along and do some things with uh, together. So this has been encouraging for me. I hope it's been encouraging for you, uh, the listeners. This has been another episode of the Blue Banter podcast and an anthology of pastoral theology. Our guest has been Ken Smith, a retired pastor of the RPCNA. And you've heard in the background a little bit Pete Smith, who's uh, kind of there helping us with the, the technology. So I guess Pete is technically our first reoccurring guest. So Pete, if you're still there, congratulations on that one. <laughs> if you like this episode, you can rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. Please share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask the pastors that we interview, or you'd like us to interview your pastor, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.